1 Timothy chapter 2. The Apostle Paul is instructing his young protege, Timothy. Timothy has been left behind at the church of Ephesus. He's overseeing uh, multiple home churches, if you will, at this point. And uh, Timothy's not like the Apostle Paul, where he's very bold and outspoken. Timothy's younger, much younger in age as well as in the faith. The Apostle Paul is using this book of 1 Timothy to encourage him and to, to charge him with some things. In the very beginning, uh, Paul charged Timothy to teach no other doctrine, meaning the things that we teach in church are important. And he, he said, let's get rid of the things that are going on. No, no more giving heed to fables and endless genealogies that cause disputes. No, no more. Let, let's not get stuck up in legalism. Let's not get stuck with all this stuff that's causing problems within the church. Let's just focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ, is essentially what Paul said. And then Paul gives a short testimony in chapter, the end of, towards the end of chapter 1 of his life and, and how he at one time persecuted the church, how he was a murderer, and, and the Lord showed him grace. The Lord showed him favor because Paul said he, did it, he, he didn't realize that he was doing it. He, did it. he did it not by mistake. He thought he was standing up for the Lord, but as his eyes were opened, he realized that it, what he was doing, to what he wasn't lining up with what God wanted to do, and he had to make a change in his life. And he made the change on the road to Damascus when he gave his life to Christ. And then he became the apostle, Paul, responsible for writing half of the New Testament, if you will. And he also was part of Luke. When Luke wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts, Luke was likely with him. So a majority of what we know in the New Testament is written by or overseen by the apostle Paul. And I am very, very thankful for him. At the end of chapter 1, Timothy, or Paul says to Timothy, he says, I charge this to you. I commit this charge to you. I want you to fight the good fight, Timothy. I don't want you to give up. I want you to persevere. And Timothy was in for a fight. Anytime there's change in church, anytime there's, there's going to be, people are going to be corrected or rebuked, the pastor, the leader is always in for a fight. It can always present a problem because you know what? People don't like to change. People say, well, I've been doing it this way for this long. I don't, you always play four songs for worship. Why, why, don't, why don't you play three? Why don't you do five? Why don't you do six? I, people don't generally like to change. They, they want it the way they've always known it. But can I, can I encourage you that when it comes to the things of God, let the scriptures go through you and change you. Don't change based on your own ideas. Don't change because you see somebody else doing it and you think that would be good for you. Change when the, when the scriptures speak to your heart and say, this is where a change needs to occur in your life. That's where you want to change. Don't look at me and my life. Don't look at the person sitting next to you in their life. Look to God and say, God, where is there change in my life? So Timothy's calling the churches in Ephesus there to change. As a matter of fact, he had to cast out or remove two guys. At the end of chapter one, we saw uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander. They were teaching false doctrine. He had to be removed from the church because they were bringing this division. And then in our study this morning, in chapter two, we're going to look at the first seven verses. And if you'll read along with me, we'll cover it. We'll read it together. Then we'll go back and we'll look at it. So chapter two, verse one says, Therefore... I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and a peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. 
for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. At the very beginning of chapter 2, the apostle Paul says, therefore, and whenever we see the word therefore in the Bible, we always ask ourselves, what's it there for? Because it's referring back to previously what Paul had told Timothy. Therefore, in light of what I just told you, in light of the fact that I just told you to fight the good fight, in light of the fact that I just told you not to give up, Timothy, hold to the doctrine, get rid of those people who aren't teaching what they're supposed to be teaching, move them out, hold fast to good doctrine, fight the good fight, Timothy. He says, therefore, I exhort first of all. Therefore, I exhort first of all. Exhort means to urge. Therefore, Timothy, I urge you. I really need you to do this, Timothy. It's important you do this. And this is from the one senior pastor to another pastor. He's saying, from pastor to pastor, Timothy, this is what you have to do. Now, if you're anything like me, when it comes to the Apostle Paul and his writings, he's so brilliant, it's kind of confusing sometimes, right? He makes these thoughts and he builds this case like it's, it's an incredible argument. And as you're, as you're reading the steps, you kind of get to step one and thought one and thought two and thought three. And then you're going, where is he going with this? Well, I'll tell you a secret. I like to go to the end and find out where he's going, and then I can figure out the steps along the way. So where's Paul going with this argument? I want to show you. If you'll just look down with me in chapter 3, verse, verse let's read verses 14 and 15. Paul says, these things I write to you. Oh, good, we're going to know why he's writing it. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write... Here's why, he's write, here's why he's writing chapters 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. Here's why he's writing them to you. So that you may know how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. So what Paul's saying, he's, Paul's essentially taking chapter 1, all of the rest of chapter 2 and chapter 3, and he says this, Timothy, I'm writing these to you so that you'll know how that things should be conducted in the house of God. Timothy, I'm going to tell you how I want church conducted. I'm going to tell you what's important, what's not important, what you should be doing, what you shouldn't be doing. I'm going to tell you how I want church to run, how I think it should operate, how I think it should be conducted. Now, my eyes as a pastor, I want to hear what the Apostle Paul says about church, but I also want to look and say, are we doing those things? Where do we stand with those? You see, it's not just about me always telling you guys what to do. I have to look as the Apostle Paul instructs the pastors and say, are we doing these things? Are we doing those things? Now, back up to chapter 2, Paul says, therefore I exhort, I'm urging you, I'm telling you, first of all. Now this is important, first of all. It's easy to skip over, but it doesn't necessarily mean, and, and understand something, I'm going to kind of get into the Greek language a little bit, and I'm not a Greek scholar. I don't know Greek, I don't speak Greek, but I can read the books written by the guys who do. Okay, that's where I get my information. There's a lot of Bible study programs out there. So when you hear me reference Greek stuff, it's because I read somebody else write it. It's not necessarily me. I'm not that smart. Okay, I just find the books of the people that are. And I just I can claim their stuff like it's mine. It makes me look smart, but I'm not that way. Really, I promise. So here's what it means. First of all, first of all, isn't necessarily meaning a sequence of events like this is what I want you to do first. This is what I want you to do second. This is what I want you to do third. First of all, it means this. The most important the most important. So when Timothy, when Paul says to Timothy, first of all, essentially he's saying to Timothy, this is the most important thing. 
Now, couple that with what we just read, that you may know how, to, how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Couple that. This is how I want you to conduct yourself. And look what he said. This is, first of all, this is the most important thing. And look what he says. First of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men. Paul is telling Timothy, the most important thing in the church, in the house of God, is prayer. Prayer. He's simply saying it's the most important thing. First of all, it indicates that prayer is most important. In the public worship in the house of God, what he's talking about is when believers come together, prayer should be at the center. It's the most important thing. Now notice there, there's four different words there. And they're all referring to a different type of prayer, if you will. Now, in the, in, the, in the Greek, there's at least five different words. Some people say as many as seven that can be translated as prayer throughout the New Testament. But here we see the first one we see is supplications. I want you to pray. I want you to make supplications. And, and what's a supplication? What does it mean to make a supplication? That's one of those words. Well, what does that really mean? What does it really mean to make a supplication? It means to make a request. It means you go in prayer to the Lord and you ask for something. But I think even a better definition is it means this. It means to make a need known. It means to make a need known. You go before the Lord in prayer. You make your needs known to him. What kind of needs might somebody have? Well, what if you're sick this morning? What if you have something going on where you need to be healed? What if you have a marriage problem? What if you're having a problem as a parent raising your children? What about if you have a loved one that's not saved? What kind of needs do we have? They're endless. You see, when you start out with this, your needs are all about you. You want a new car, you want a new house, a new bicycle, whatever it is that you want to need, whatever you think you need. And then as the closer you grow to the Lord, you realize, well, I don't really need all that stuff. Those are really kind of wants. There really are things I need. You need to go grow closer to the Lord. You need to develop a prayer life. You need to be given to the Lord in devotion and in Bible study. We need to do certain things as Christians. We can never become a church that just comes to church and leaves and never doesn't take our Christianity with us. We're wasting our time. We might as well just call ourselves a club. There are lots of needs that we have as believers. So the word supplications means I'm offering a request for a need. Lord, would you meet this need in my life? Would you help me overcome this sin that I'm struggling with? Would you help me find a job, Lord? Would you help me with this financial burden that I've, that I've developed? Will you help me with these things? Do you see what it means? It means you go before the Lord and you, and you provide supplications for him. The next thing he says there is, after we make our needs known, and it's not necessarily in order, he says prayers, prayers. It's a real simple word. We all, prayer, it means talking to God. It's a general word for prayer. It means speaking with God. It means this, to communicate with God. Just talking to God. Prayer. And the next word there, he says, intercessions. Intercessions. Make supplications, prayers, and intercessions. Now, the common thing that we believe as Christians that intercede means I'm praying for somebody else. Right? It means I'm, I'm, I'm interceding on behalf of somebody else. I'm praying for somebody that's sick. I'm praying for somebody that needs to grow in the Lord. I'm praying for someone with financial problems. I'm interceding. And that is definitely one of the meanings of, of, of intercessions. But that's not the primary meaning here in this word. 
What it means is this. It means to speak to someone on behalf of someone else and this, to draw near so as to converse personally. It means you're drawing near and you're conversing personally with God. It means to approach God in a free and familiar manner or a free and a familiar prayer. So it's not only speaking on behalf of somebody else, it's approaching God personally. It's, it's approaching him and, and speaking with him personally, speaking with him freely. It's the idea that I'm just, I'm conversing with God. You see, sometimes we all say, or I've heard it said, I don't know how to pray. Yes, you do. If you can talk, you can pray. Converse with God. It's just a simple, just tell God what's going on in your life. It's real simple. Do I have to do it out loud? If you want to, you can do it quietly. It doesn't matter. For me, it helps me not to get distracted when I pray out loud, if I'm alone. When I pray quietly, my mind tends to wander. But we can do that. We can converse with God. We can intercede. But don't forget the last one. The last thing he says there is with, with what? Giving of thanks. Giving of thanks. We must be, go to the Lord in prayer, and part of our prayers must be thanksgiving. If you'll take the time to give thanks to God, it will change the way that you pray. I like to spend a little bit of time of worship before God, thinking about how great he is, how magnificent he is. I like to spend a little time in confession. I like to spend a little time in thanksgiving, and it puts me in the right mind frame. It, real, it makes me realize how God, how big he is and how much control he has over everything, rather than me just come to him with my really big problem and forget that God's in control of everything. You see, Paul says this, first of all, the most important thing, you say, well, Rob, I'm not a pastor. It doesn't really matter to me. Yes, it does, because you're all people that attend church. And you need to be part of churches. You need to know what you're looking for in a church, what the most important things are in a church before you choose which church you attend. First of all, you see, in our culture, what do we look for when we go to a church? Well, I want them to have a good worship band. We don't have one yet. Someday, our prayer is, Lord, bring somebody to lead worship for us. Someday that will happen. What else do we look for? We look for a good children's ministry. If we have kids, they have to have the big fish tank and they have to have the walls painted and it has to be a certain thing. I want a good children's ministry. You know, we all basically use the same curriculums. You buy the curriculum and they give it to you for the most part. They're, they're all, it's just curriculums that you're teaching the kids. But we look for all of these things that seem to be so important. Well, they have to have a good ministry of this. They have to have a good ministry of that. They have to be doing this and they have to be doing that. And they have to have a missions team. And they have to do this. Did you ever consider, are they a praying church? Do they gather and pray? Do their meetings consist of prayer? Do they encourage you to pray? The Apostle Paul says, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for who? For who? For all men. I encourage that supplications, thanks, prayers, they be made for all men. Do you know who that includes? There's a real fancy Greek word for all. You know what it really means? All. <laughs> Simple as that. The people you like, the people you don't like. Your friends, your enemies. All men. All men. And look who else it says. Just so they're clear about this, Paul says, for kings and all who are in authority... For kings and all who are in authority. That means, well, we don't have a king. No, but we have a president. Well, I don't like him. I don't care if you like him or not. The Bible says to pray for him. The Bible says to pray for those that are in authority over you. 
for our police officers, for those that are serving in authority, for our county commissioners, for our city commissioners. If you're a student, for your teachers. If you're a young person, for your parents. Those that have authority over you, the Bible's saying pray for them. Pray for them. It's important that we pray for them. Why should we do such a thing? Because it says that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. You say, wait a minute, Rob. The Apostle Paul didn't understand what was going on in the United States of America in 2016. He didn't understand we're, we're facing an election and we have a problem in here. Yes, he did. Because you know who was governing Rome at this time? Caesar Nero. He had already lit Rome on fire. He was blaming the Christians. And some say he was killing as many as 6,000 Christians. That's the man that the Apostle Paul is saying, who the very man himself may have been the one that condemned Paul to death. He says, pray for your leaders. Pray for your king. Pray for your Caesar. Pray for the one that's doing this. And as a Christian, we go, well, we don't want to do that. But there's a reason he tells us to do that. I want you to do this for a very, very, look at what he says. I want you to live a quiet and a peaceable life. Who wants a quiet and peaceable life? I do, don't you? I want to live a quiet and peaceable life. By the way, quiet means the absence of outward disturbances. Peaceable means the, the, the tranquility arising from within. Who wants to live at peace within the place, the location that we're living in? Also, we want peace from within. Paul says you'll get this through prayer. You'll get this through prayer. You'll especially get this through praying for your leaders. You're not going to get quiet and peaceable life watching Fox News or CNN. All you'll do is get wound up, bound up, and you can't believe what's going on, and you'll get on Facebook, and you'll post all these kinds of dumb things. Half your friends will disown you because they don't agree with you. And what good will come out of it? You want quiet and peaceable? Be people of prayer. Be people of prayer. That's what it says. Live a life of godliness and reverence. Notice, too, as the Apostle Paul writes this, as his brothers and sisters are being persecuted he doesn't form the Christian coalition. He doesn't form a political activist group to go against Nero. He doesn't say we have to band together and stand strong and fight. He doesn't say that. What does he say? Pray. Pray. Pray for them. I wonder how much, and I'm not faulting those that are moved by God to go against the things of the government. I'm not faulting them at all. But I wonder those of us who aren't moved by God to take those stands, I wonder how much of a difference we could be if we prayed instead of talked senselessly about it. If we really realized, you know what? We as Christians have the opportunity to pray for our government. If you as a Christian doesn't pray for them, who's going to? The very greatest power that we have to influence society, do we use it? The very greatest power you have over your children, do you use it? The very greatest power you have over your marriage, are you using it? The very greatest thing that we can do, the Apostle Paul says, pray, first and foremost. You say, Rob, well, this, we're, just, we're just too far gone. It, it, it's just not even possible that something like this, prayer, this, this country's too far gone. My family, my kids are too far gone. I want to tell you a story. In 1985, the pastor of St. Nicholas Church in East Germany, it was when Germany, the Berlin Wall was still standing, communism in East Germany, freedom in West Germany, the pastor in East Germany put up a sign on the front of his church that said, open to all. And they began to get together on Monday nights to pray. They were going to, have a, they were going to pray for peace, okay? That was 1985. When it started, there was 10 people that showed up. Ten people. You know what? The government didn't really care about it. It didn't really make a difference. It didn't really matter. But they continued to meet every Monday night. 
for prayer. On May 8th of 1989, the group had grown so large, the authorities blocked off the streets so the people couldn't even get to the church. Hundreds of people were arrested. Political, the, 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 the political temperature was high. The Christians were gathering to pray in East Germany. They tried to keep them apart, and the longer they kept them apart, the more they came together. On October 7th of 1989, 2,000 people gathered inside St. Nicholas Church to get down on their knees and pray. They wanted to pray. They got together and prayed. Over 10,000 gathered outside and got down on their knees and prayed. Can I tell you that 30 days later, on November 9th, 1989, the Berlin Wall came down? 30 days later. One week after that prayer meeting at St. Nicholas Church, the, the, the man who was in office, and I can't remember his name, was removed from office. Three weeks later, the Berlin Wall came down. And we would say, prayer, does it really make a difference? You better believe it makes a difference. It makes a difference in your life. It makes a difference in your family. It makes a difference in our country. It makes a difference in our city. It makes a difference in the county that we live in. As I read this scripture, as I take a look at this, as the pastor of this church, I ask myself this question, are we doing this? Are we doing it? It's one thing for me to stand up here and tell you to do it, but is, are, are we a church who gets together and prays? You say, well, yeah, we have a prayer meeting every Sunday night. We get together at 7 o'clock, and we're here for about an hour and a half or so. The first you know, half hour or so is we're just giving prayer requests, and the next 45 minutes to an hour is, is prayer. We have that. There's about 12 of us that come together. What about the rest of us? What about everybody else? Listen, I want to share something with you. If there's a problem in your marriage, you should be on that, in that meeting on prayer. If there's a problem with your kids, you should be in that meeting praying for your family. If there's a problem with your husband or your wife, if you're sick, why aren't you in prayer meeting? If there's something going on, if you don't have a job, why aren't you there praying? If you're trying to find out what God's will is for your life, why aren't you there praying? Why aren't we interceding? Why aren't we using these things? But instead, we just kind of move on and go through life and think, oh, no big deal. You see, when I read this, I'm convicted. The Apostle Paul says the most important thing in the body of Christ is prayer. The most important thing. It's not how big we are. It's not how many people we have. It's not the fact that we have a ministry or a radio station or missions. or it, None of that matters. It's all important stuff, but it, it's not the focus. It can't be the central theme for us. It's got to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, pray. Pray. I want to show you something in verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. And look what it says. Who desires that all men be saved. All men be saved. What does all mean? All. All men be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. What's the knowledge of the truth? That there's one God, one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. He's the man when I think of the man, do you know what I think of? I think of Pilate. Remember when Jesus was, he was scourged? Remember what happened? They put him, they, they, they scourged him. They got the Roman soldiers, they were going to scourge him. And that was an interrogation technique they would use on people. They wanted to get you to confess to all the things you've done wrong. So they would hit you with the cat of nine tails, glass shards, lead across your back. They would get you to confess. They didn't have the same laws that we have in this country. They scourged Jesus. You know what he confessed to? Nothing. He didn't say a word. He couldn't say a word. If he'd, even, 
I think I would lie. I'd be confessing to anything. And part of the process, there was a guy there with a scribe. He'd write down what you confessed. They had a list of all your crimes. This is what we're doing. This is what he did. This is what he confessed to. It's inhumane treatment. But Jesus couldn't even lie. He couldn't confess because if he confessed to something he hadn't done wrong, it'd be a lie. And and he would have sinned. He wouldn't be the perfect sacrifice that we needed. And as after being scourged, and the scriptures tell us that he was beat unrecognizable, Pontius Pilate brought him out before the people. And he said, behold the man. Behold the man. The apostle Paul here, is, I, I, I got to believe he's referring to that. I wonder if the apostle Paul was there in that crowd that had condemned Christ. As he heard, behold the man. And now he holds him in a whole new regard. And he tells you why he's the man. He gave himself a ransom. For? For who? What's it say? It says for all. For all. To be testified in due time. Does that mean everybody's saved? No. Look what it says in verse 4. Who desires all men to be saved. God desires that all men to be saved. He gave himself for all, but it still requires something of us. We have to choose to accept what he laid down for us. We have to choose the forgiveness. We have to choose that. He gave himself for a ransom. You know what that means? It means he paid the price. Think about it. A kidnapping. You're being held You're being held under Satan. He's holding on to you and there's a ransom and Jesus says, I'll pay that. Now give him back to me, he's mine. Give her back to me, she's mine. I'm going to pay that ransom for them. They're mine. And Paul says, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, speaking the truth in Christ, not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. The apostle Paul makes it very, very clear that the first priority of a church should be prayer. And while we get together on Sunday nights and pray, and while we pray before worship, and we pray before Bible study, and we pray at the end of Bible study, we're going to change a few things in the way that we do our service here. From now on, at every time we meet, either before the Bible study or after the Bible study, we're going to take a few minutes of prayer because the Apostle Paul directs us to. The Apostle Paul says, pray. Well, I don't know what to pray for. Pray for your leaders. Maybe you're here personally and you've got some things that you need to work out in your heart. Pray for yourself. Maybe you know somebody that needs prayer. Pray for them. The truth is we can think of hundreds, thousands of things to pray for. It's really not that hard. But here's what I want to do. We're going to begin to do something special. We're going to take communion this morning together. Okay? But before we do, we're going to have a time of prayer as a fellowship. You don't have to pray out loud. No one's gonna, if you come to Sunday night prayer, no one's going to make you pray out loud. Okay, understand that. Sunday night prayer is a time where we gather as believers. I would prefer you pray quietly. If, I really don't want to hear you because everyone else wants to concentrate on what they're doing. There's a time at the end if you have something publicly you want to proclaim or say that we can do that. But for the most part, it's you meeting with God. It's just you and God. And, and if, if you're praying out loud or you're disturbing the person next to you, then it, it kind of interrupts them meeting with God. So it's supposed to be a quiet time. It's supposed to be a time where we just get together and we pray. But I want to do something before and after every service. We're going to begin to take a few minutes. A few minutes. And just say, hey, we're going to pray. But I want to do something else. Before we start this this morning, and we're going to take maybe four or five minutes, not a long time. I'm going to be up here with my wife, Rebecca, and Gary and Carolyn will be up here. If you need prayer, if you need prayer for something, I want you to come up to us, come up to Rebecca and I, or come up to Gary and Carolyn. or you know, I want you to come up to us and let us pray for you. We're not going to counsel you. You could, we're not going to ask you details. We're not going to ask you questions. You just simply come up and say, hey, I need prayer for 
and tell us what you need prayer for. You know what we're going to do? We're going to pray. We're just going to pray. We're going to take a few minutes and just pray for one another. If you need prayer, and talk to the person next to you that brought you here. Maybe they can pray for you. It's just a time as a body where we're going to gather and say, you know what, we need to take these commands of Paul seriously. I can't rightly stand before you and tell you that the most important thing of the church is prayer and not offer a time to pray. That would be silly of me. It'd be hypocritical of me. And isn't that the greatest, greatest condemnation we have as Christians? We're a bunch of hypocrites. You see, as I read the Bible, as I teach the Bible, I also let the Bible read me. And I also let the Bible teach me. I also allow my life to be changed and put in accordance with what it does. Now, if you're sick, if you need prayer, if you're having financial trouble, whatever it is that you need, come tell us and let us pray for you. And you say, well, Rob, what about Sunday night? Come to Sunday night and pray. I encourage you. This place should be packed for Sunday night. Do you realize the opportunity that's there? You have an opportunity to go before the living God. The living God, your creator. What's going to happen? Your life will be changed. That's what's going to happen if you come to prayer. But instead, everything gets in the way. I've got to go here. I've got to go there. I've got to spend faith. There's always an excuse not to pray. But the excuse to pray is because we're told to in the scriptures. If your life is bumpy, if your life is rocky, where, why are you not on your knees before God? Is there any place that you're going to find help besides that? No. Do you know why more churches don't do this? Because they don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. They don't want a, quiet, a moment of silence. They don't want it to be quiet because so people, so the, people, we don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. No, no. This is a time where we gather as believers to go before our creator. If that makes you uncomfortable, I'm sorry. It's really not, it's not meant to make you uncomfortable. It's meant to draw those that are following Christ to a new, a, a new level, a new look to say, you know what, I need to do this. This is important for me.